So uh, today we're going to transition into our series here. We've been in this series called I've Got a Story for You. And uh, in that series, what we're doing is we're looking at people, looking at stories of people who have met Jesus, both in the, the Gospel of John, as well as South Pointers here who are sharing their story uh, with us today. Uh, so what I'm going to do in, in just a minute here, I'm going to read uh, the Gospel of John, chapter 1, verses 19 through 34, which is on John the Baptist. Uh, John the Baptist comes just before Jesus. He clears the way for Jesus. He makes straight the way for Jesus. Uh, and, and people were not sure if John was actually the Messiah who was coming because there had been this gap of about 400 years since the nation of Israel had actually had a prophet themselves. So John shows up, and he has this powerful word and powerful testimony, uh, and, and people wondered if he was the Messiah because he was someone who was very, I mean, he was thought of religiously uh, highly. So this is uh, the story that I'm going to read uh, from Scripture, and then I'm going to introduce Paul. Now, if you don't know Paul Lou, Paul Lou has actually been with South Point since day one and is one of the most accomplished people that I have ever met in my life. Uh, and yet, when, when you talk to Paul himself, and you'll hear this from his story, he points to the person of Jesus which is what John the Baptist did. So I'm going to read John chapter 1, starting in verse 19. Now this was John's testimony when the Jewish leaders in Jerusalem sent priests and Levites to ask him who he was. He did not fail to confess, but confessed freely. I'm not the Messiah. They asked him, then who are you? Are you Elijah? They thought that there was going, that someone like Elijah was coming back, the prophet. He said, I'm not. Are you the prophet? He answered, no. Finally, they say, who are you? Give us an answer to take back to those who sent us. What do you say about yourself? And here's where John replied in the words of Isaiah the prophet, I am the voice of one, calling in the wilderness, make straight the way for the Lord. Now the Pharisees who had been sent questioned him, why then do you baptize if you're not the Messiah, nor Elijah, nor the prophet? I baptize with water, John replied, but among you stands one you do not know. He is the one who comes after me, the straps of whose sandals I am not worthy to untie. This all happened at Bethany on the other side of the Jordan, where John was baptizing. The next day, John saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is the one I meant when I said, A man come, who comes after me has surpassed me because he was before me. I myself did not know him, but the reason I came baptizing with water was that he might be revealed to Israel. Then John gave this testimony. I saw the Spirit come down from heaven as a dove and remain on him. And I myself did not know him, but the one who sent me to baptize with water told me, the man on whom you see the Spirit come down and remain is the one who will baptize with the Holy Spirit. I have seen and I testify that this is God's chosen one. And what John did is he pointed to the person of Jesus, even though people were asking him about himself, about his greatness, and uh, so I want to, uh, to introduce to you uh, Paul Liu. And Paul, if, if we can give uh, Paul a, a warm South Point welcome, that would be great. Thank you so much. Thank you. So my name is Paul, and I'm not on staff at South Point. 
But my wife, Sally Ann, and I have the privilege of serving as uh, members of the Shepherds team here at South Point. And as Tanner pointed out, we've been part of this uh, merry band since the very beginning in the days of the um, cinema. Um, when Tanner asked me to give my story, and you heard the background, he says uh, he thought I was a humble guy. And maybe that means Tanner doesn't know me as well as he thinks he does. My wife and my kids would may disagree with that kind of thing. It's very significant today. I thought it was going to be child dedication ceremony, but turns out that our children couldn't come today, so uh, the children who are going to be dedicated. Because my story is about the dedication that my mom, who raised me as a single mom, had to her kids. And um, that's important because it takes more than just a single mom to raise kids. It takes her beseeching God for all the many blessings that we've enjoyed through our lives. It's also something very significant today, and Tanner alluded to it in the opening message, when today is actually the day of Pentecost. In the older church calendar, we would celebrate 40 days after the resurrection, which was Easter, Christ ascended into heaven, and he said to the disciples, stay put in Jerusalem, because something is going to happen. We're going to send you the helper. And that will empower you to take my message to Judea, Samaria, and beyond. And that happened. And that's what we celebrate today. We celebrate actually Pentecost when God gave us the Holy Spirit. And that's really something for us to celebrate when we tell our stories. Because hopefully it's the Spirit that's talking through me. Now, when I say that my mom raised me as a widow, um, it's because when I was seven weeks old, my father was killed in a car accident. We were moving the family from Fort Collins, Colorado to University of California, Davis, where he had just accepted a position as a professor of engineering. And in Elko, Nevada, our car met up head-on with another car. And it's apocrypha, in my family anyway, that God protected me because I was in my father's arms. He was uh, in the passenger seat. And when he knew impact was coming, supposedly, he threw me out the window, knowing that I probably wouldn't survive the head-on collision. And I was found by the side of the road in a bush that somehow had protected me from uh, dying. And the family moved back to Fort Collins, and the same loving church family that had sent us off with prayers and thanksgiving welcomed us back, sheltered the family, fed them, housed them, found a job for my mom after she spent a year in mourning. Really, our lives were completely in disarray. So I was raised by a woman who basically, like Jacob, wrestled with God. And she claimed the promises, not for herself, which Jacob did, but for her kids. And she claimed Psalm 68, verse 5, that says that the father of the fatherless and defender of widows is God in his holy habitation. And that was the verse that we all knew growing up. It's okay that you don't have an earthly father because you have a heavenly father, and he's going to provide for all of your needs. Well, so I started out great. I was grown up in a small town in Colorado where I used to kid to my Hispanic, then the term was Chicano friends. You don't know what it is to be a minority. I was a minority of one. I was the only Chinese kid in the entire town. And uh, I used to get into fights with some of my peers because they would make fun of me. They'd issue ethnic slurs, and I felt I had to defend my honor and all that kind of stuff. And my mom sat me down one time, and she said, you know, the only way you're going to escape discrimination is if you're the best. He said, then people can be jealous of you, but they're never going to look down on you. 
And so I took those words to heart, and I studied hard, and I threw myself into extracurricular activities, and I did sports and music and debate and all those kinds of things. I still like to argue. Um, and, um, and it did well by me, right? I ended up winning a full-ride scholarship to college. I ended up winning prestigious scholarship to Oxford University, and I got into Harvard for medical school and all those kinds of things. And yet, it was basically my mother's faith that got me there. It wasn't mine. There's a saying that many of you are familiar with, that God doesn't have grandchildren. What he has are sons and daughters, and he gives us the right to be that. But I hadn't really internalized that. I was still resting on the fact that my mom was wrestling with God to give us the blessings like Jacob. And so eventually, I figured out that I had to internalize this myself. That, so I reasoned it out from first principles. I even threw it all away for a little while when I was in college. I said, okay, I'm a smart kid. I can figure this stuff out. And I found out that I missed Jesus. And that sounds kind of maybe corny or something like that, but I realized that I actually did have a personal relationship with, with Jesus. It goes back to childhood when people say, do you, do you have a conversion experience? Well, I had several because I grew up in a Baptist church. And if those of you who grew up in a Baptist church know that there's a time called the altar call, when at the end of the service, every head is bowed, every eye is closed. Yes, I see your hand there. I see your hand there, right? My hand would slip up almost every week because Pastor Corkish had this way of scaring the hell out of us, literally and figuratively. So, but what you realize is that those are not true conversion experiences because God is love. And there's a balance. Yes, there's a balance between the judgment and the love because as some have said, Tim Keller uses this line. He says, well, in the, in the um, permissive churches, it's great because God loves to forgive sin and I love to sin. So therefore, it's a match made in heaven, right? <laughs> But growing up, I figured that I had to figure out what this was about this. And even though I had all of these um, blessings that had been showered upon me, um, my experience was still transactional. In other words, I would believe in God so long as he continued to shower blessing on me. And I think there's a lot of us that do that. What's in it for me, okay? God loves us. He blesses us, all that kind of stuff. And if those blessings stop, do you continue to worship? And it seems to me that that's really the true meaning of what John was saying when he says Jesus is going, to be baptized, is going to baptize you with the Holy Spirit. If you internalize the Spirit, that means that God occupies the chief position in your heart, that it is Him in you that allows you to interact with other people and to say, I can be humble because it's not me. It's all God acting through me. So when I was... Um, after medical school, I, I did residency, and surgical residency is a ghastly experience. I wouldn't wish it on um, anybody. I was up every other night for five to seven years, um, and, and you just get mad. You get really mad. So my story is not just one of blessing. It's actually one of um, hidden sins, ones that you guys don't see. When Tanner said, oh, you meet him, and he seems like he's such a good guy, etc." My nickname in surgical residency was Powder Keg, okay? <laughs> that tells you something. And, and it came from this sin of pride because I can go around and you can talk to me, et cetera, et cetera, but, but I realize, yes, I've been blessed, but there's a part of me that says, hey, I deserve this because I worked really hard and I'm smart and all those kinds of things. 
And that's a hidden sin that is the most deadly of all. There's a reason why pride is considered the worst one of all, because it's the root sin. It certainly gave rise to anger in my own life. It gave rise to me being known as powder keg. And in my marriage, that had bitter fruit. I thought things were going swimmingly, right? That's that guy thing where we don't really understand necessarily what's going on. And my wife said, you need help. In fact, if you don't get help, I'm going to leave you. Floor me, right? I had no idea that it was that serious kind of stuff. But then I realized that, yeah, all this stuff that had been in my life had been the top priority. For many of us, it's money. For many of us, it's our family. They're not bad things in and of themselves. But unless God is the center and sits on the throne of your life, then all those other things have primacy in your life. And so it's only if you can truly say, you could take away all those other things. If I still have Jesus, then I'm okay. That's a really hard lesson. Because if you're proud and if you're angry and all that kind of stuff, you are justified by other things in your life apart from Jesus. And so I'm here to tell you that those hidden sins are really hard to overcome. And despite the fact that I've had a, war, a lifetime of trying, to, uh, of trying to deal and overcome with anger and with pride and stuff like that, you still better not cut me off in traffic. Okay? <laughs> so, <laughs> so it, um, but, but there's a, a, probably a better story that signifies my life, and it's not actually in John, so I apologize apologize, Tanner, that I'm, I'm, I'm divulging a little bit from the script, but it's in Matthew 19 when the rich young ruler comes to Jesus, and he says, what act must I do to attain eternal life? And Jesus says, well, you know the commandments. You have to follow the commandments, and he elicits uh, uh, several of them. The rich young ruler says, of all these things I've followed since my youth, and Jesus said, one thing you lack, sell everything you own, give it to the poor, and come and follow me. And the rich young ruler turned away sorrowful because it says he was a man of great wealth. So in his life, it was his riches that kept him from knowing that Jesus was the way, the truth, and the life. And he didn't follow Jesus. And that's the source of that great teaching when Jesus says, it's easier for a camel to pass through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to come into the kingdom of God. And that was revolutionary for that time because for the Jews... Blessing was a sign that you had God's favor. So the fact that he was a rich guy meant that he had everything. He didn't need, really, Jesus, or certainly he didn't think he did. But you can see how that was the sin of pride, and it kept him from following Jesus. And so for those of us who have been similarly blessed, and in this country, let's face it, even if you don't occupy the top decile in the socioeconomic ladder, we're still really, really blessed. And unless you can say... Jesus is the most important thing. You could take away all that other stuff and I'd still be okay. Then you're like the rich young ruler. Going back to the story of John, John was imprisoned by Herod. And he even had his moments of doubt. This again is not recorded in John. It's in the Gospel of Matthew as well. But Jesus was shaking things up. He was eating and drinking with publicans and sinners and things like that. And John heard word of this and said, man... What's going on? This is not the Messiah that I thought. Remember, you just read the words of John proclaiming Jesus as the Messiah. And instead, he sends some of his followers and says, are you the one? Or should we wait for somebody else? Should we look for somebody else? So even John, in the middle of this, in the middle at the culmination of his great ministry, 
had his doubts. How did Jesus reply? He says, tell this to John. He says, the blind see, the lame can walk, the dead are raised to life, and the poor have good news preached to them. So, in other words, it's what Jesus does in our life that's the important thing. It's not filling external manifestations. It's not showing that you are more blessed than anybody else or whatever. It's doing the work that God sent us and put us on this earth to do. So the end of that story in Matthew, when everybody's saying, so, so this is impossible. Who then can be saved? And remember the words of Jesus. Jesus says, with God. With man, it's impossible. Well, with God, all things are possible. And that's the message for all of us as we tell our stories. Thank you. Yeah, such a great, such a great story. And I, I think that uh, when I hear things like, well, God spared my life by saving me by being thrown into a bush. <laughs> and you, you can, it's easy for me to look at Paul's story and say, well, God has a plan for him, obviously. But for us, those sitting in this room, those watching, God has a plan for you. And when we tell our stories here, we're, we're not just telling our stories, we're telling his story. And the little part that we play in it throughout time and history and so there's, uh, there are a few things that are better than hearing stories of God's faithfulness. Uh, the verse for this whole, sto- this whole series uh, comes from uh, the writings of John, but it's in the book of Revelation. <clears throat> Where in the book of Revelation, he's writing about our enemy, the devil. And he said that we overcome his work by the blood of the lamb and by the word of our testimony. So through this series, my encouragement to you is, is be praying for ways for you to share your story. It can be 30 seconds before Jesus, I was, now I, this is how I met Jesus, and now I am. I may not be perfect, but now I am. And if, if you were here today, if you're watching and you say, well, I, I don't know for sure that I am, I, I, don't, I can't be for certain, uh, then Let's, let's have a conversation about that because there literally is nothing better than Jesus. There's nothing better than Jesus. Uh, so what I want to do right now is I'm going to say a prayer, and uh, we will be dismissed uh, after a couple of announcements after that. But uh, my invitation to you is to stick around for the baptisms. Uh, if you're joining us online, we're actually going to end this stream, or we're going to start a new stream uh, for the baptisms in just a, a minute or two. And, uh, and so let me, let me say one final prayer. God, we love you. We thank you for your love and for your grace. Thank you for this day, for this moment in time that you have us here right now, that you do have a plan for our lives. Uh, God, help us take a moment, take a breath to think about that, to listen for you. We do praise you for the gift of the Holy Spirit, your presence inside of Jesus' followers. We, we thank you and we praise you. We love you, and we thank you for first loving us. That's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.